Jesus said to the disciples, Follow me. Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. But how do you really follow someone? Is that a decision that you make? Or a direction that you go? Who is the world following? Do they even know? Maybe the bigger question, maybe the more important one, is who are you following? Jesus says to you, follow me. Well, hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, my name's Todd, for those of you I don't know, and I'm the lead pastor. Glad you're here this morning, and uh, glad that you're here. Welcome to summer. <laughs> Man, it is really summer-like out there, and so uh, glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to actually two different passages. I'm going to have you turn to the book of John, uh, John chapter 10, and you can uh, kind of put a marker there. And then you can turn over to uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, we'll be in several different passages this morning. Today we are bringing to conclusion the series that we've been in over the past few weeks. We began on Easter and we're bringing it to a conclusion today. We've entitled it, Follow Me. And uh, Jesus, uh, when he was engaging with the people, the men who eventually became his disciples, uh, there was a phrase that he often used. It's all through the Gospels. It's all through those books that um, you know, kind of chronicle Jesus' life. And uh, the, the phrase that he used when he would gather people was this phrase, follow me. And it's a phrase that really still has implication and it still has connection to those of us who are Christ followers. In fact, some would say that Jesus doesn't call us too much at all, but if you really look at follow me, there's a lot to that. And so we began on Easter Sunday this year in 2006 with this premise, and here's what I don't want you to miss in this whole, uh, this whole series is, is this. Uh, the, the gift of God of salvation uh, is absolutely free. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus is absolutely, unequivocally, no conditions whatsoever free. But being a follower of Jesus, continuing in that journey with him, will cost us much. In fact, um, for some people in the, in the early centuries of, of church, it cost them everything, didn't it? It cost them their lives. And in fact, even today, there are people all around the world that live in places that aren't so free, and often it costs them their lives. And so being a follower of Jesus is something that costs us a lot. Becoming a follower of Jesus costs us absolutely nothing. The gift of God is free. And so we've talked about that over the past few weeks. And week two, uh, Todd Cooper did a great job of talking about the fact that uh, sometimes being a follower of Jesus is, is dangerous and it's risky. And, it, and it, sometimes it costs us our own safety. And so we need to find security in God. Uh, we're going to kind of come back to that idea of security today, but in a little bit of a different kind of twist to it, a little bit different application. Uh, it, we discussed the fact in week three that um, you, you, you and I are a part of a generation that really 
focuses on ourselves. It's, it's really all about me, right, isn't it? Uh, we, we want to consume. We want to take. We're kind of a consumer generation, consumer mentality. And by the way, that goes across all the generations that are represented in here. I'm sorry if you thought you weren't, but you are, okay? So we all are in some form or fashion kind of a consumer uh, generation and consumer people. And so um, when we become followers of Jesus, even though that's free, we do have to die to ourselves, uh, we, we have to die to our desires, to our ambitions, to, to our wants and, and, and our needs to pursue Jesus. That's what being a follower of Jesus Christ uh, is going to require from us at some point in time. Uh, in week four, we talked about the fact that being a follower of Jesus requires that we speak with our mouths um, what he's done in us and the truth of the gospel uh, that's what Jesus called us to do. It's evangelism. It's telling the good news of Jesus. Last week, uh, Cynthia joined me, and I'm so thankful that she got to join me for uh, a message that we did that we talked about the fact that being a follower of Jesus requires that 24-7 we worship him with our life, not just here on Sunday mornings or whenever it is that you worship. Um, it, it is something that we should do with our lives, and Romans talks about that. So being a follower of Jesus, uh, being a follower of Jesus costs us much. Becoming a follower of Jesus costs us nothing. And so that's been the theme of this message. We're going to wrap it up today by talking about a different kind of security. Now, um, our culture is obsessed with security, right? The security of, of old was simply a key, right, for a door. And, and often what you secured was your home. And once that was secure, um, you know, everything within your home uh, was protected. Am I right? So security really had to do with a key, just a simple key. Today, with the, the rise of the Internet, I could have really dated myself and said the World Wide Web there, okay? But I didn't. I said the Internet, okay? So that was for my kids. So anyway, with the rise of the Internet, with the rise of technology, um, security is so, so much more broad, isn't it? Um, and I want you to think about something. What's the one thing in your life um, that you probably, like, protect and keep secure more than maybe anything or any one possession? I, I would suggest that for most of us, it's this little device right here, am I right? If, if you have one in your hand right now, I'm gonna embarrass you, hold it up, okay? It's okay, it's okay, I tell you to get on and take notes, we have an app, awesome. Thank you for being truthful on Sunday at church, you guys are awesome. So we really take security seriously, don't we? So much so that it uses your fingerprint, right? Some of them use your fingerprint to, to get security, that's a little scary, but okay. And sometimes there's a code. My kids wanna get on my phone so much that um, I tell them, even though it's a four-digit code, I tell them that I have an account with the Department of Defense, and it's a 10-digit code, and it changes every five minutes. <laughs> Is that wrong that I do that? Is that wrong? It keeps them off my phone. <laughs> it does. So we, uh, we are obsessed with security, aren't we? And rightly so. There's a lot of things in this world that are out there that want to seek and, 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 and take over, you know, identity theft, so on and so forth. And so we're, we're kind of obsessed with security. But I got to tell you, it's interesting, as obsessed as we are about, like, physical security and our, our personal security in our homes and cars and the things that we own, um, we sometimes forget about a security that we have automatically once we become followers of Jesus. And that is, is that you and I, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, we are secured forever with absolutely no doubt that we would ever be lost 
or our salvation ever taken away. And I got to tell you that sometimes in today's culture, there's a different message even in churches, even in some good churches that you might hear. Many churches that profess the name of Jesus, they talk about finding salvation in him, but they also say that you can lose your salvation. And so today what we're going to talk about and and really kind of bring things to an end is, is that being a follower of Jesus requires you and I, I want you to capture this, please don't miss this. It requires that you and I take seriously the fact that once we are saved, we are always saved. Once we believe in Jesus, um, we have that assurance, we can have that assurance that forever, for eternity, we are in him and we are secured, signed, literally sealed, you're going to see that in a moment, and delivered for eternity in him. And the problem with like our Western culture of churches is, is that our tendency as humans is to go to one extreme or the other on this. I, I want to explain because I think that many of you, not all of you, but many of you will find yourself in one of these two extreme camps or one of these two extreme kind of uh, uh, you know, parties in terms of, of this, in terms of how you live your own life. You see, we... we um, go to one extreme or the other. There, there are many people who have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, and, and they allow the evil one to lead them to believe that they can lose their salvation by something that they do in life that doesn't measure up to God's standards. And so there's people that like are on one extreme and, and they, they, they think that they can always, you know, because of some kind of sin or something that they do or that they don't do, that they can lose their salvation or that for some reason God's not going to continue to approve of them. And so, you know, they're always doubting that they're saved. There's this uncertainty around their salvation. And there's guilt that just overwhelms and overtakes them so much so that it's debilitating in their spiritual journey. And some of you may find yourself there. You're the ones that whenever you're in church and uh, the pastor, like I often do, um, you know, will, will give an invitation to be saved. And every week you raise your hand to be saved. Um, you don't have to do that. And I'll explain why just in, in a few moments. On the other side of the spectrum, kind of on the other polar opposite end, are people who understand that they're saved and that they're secure, and, and they, li- they live their lives um, so incredibly secure in their salvation that they, they really believe that they can do anything. It's kind of like they have this license to, to just live however they want. And so they, they fall into a sinful lifestyle knowing that God will never leave them or forsake them and, and they have their spiritual and eternal life insurance. And what I want to propose to you today, what I want to um, uh, kind of invite you to do today is to take seriously the fact that once you become a Christ follower, that you never can be pulled away from the eternal hope of heaven with Jesus that you have. And what that does on this side of heaven, what that does for us here right now is it means that we have to to steward or take seriously the fact that we are Christ followers, that we've said to Jesus, yes, I'm going to be a follower of you 
I believe in you. I'm going to follow you. And so today, I want to talk about the, that tension between those two polar opposites and see where you and I can find that sweet middle spot of knowing Jesus and falling in love with him and finding every delight that we have in him rather than the things of this world or the rules of this world. Because that's what we often have a tendency to do. The Gospels talk about this so much. They, they just talk about the fact that you and I have the opportunity and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our salvation is secure. Ch check um, this out with me. First and foremost, I, I had you turn to John chapter 10. I love this. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. I want you to... to Look at these words in your Bible or on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you as I read them. Jesus often used the analogy of a sheep and a shepherd to describe us as followers. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. And so he, he says this in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, I want you to say those next two words with me, eternal life. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I've got a pastor friend that said, if Jesus ever mentions something twice in a matter of a few verses, pay very, very close attention to it because he really wanted us to, to feel the weight of it. I love this verse, and I, I want you to know that what Jesus is, is saying here, and he had just described this, this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep, and when the, when the sheep would go into the pen, into the sheep pen, there was a door there, and he said, the sheep cannot leave, and anyone who tries to enter through any other route other than that door um, is uh, someone who destroys and, and in our culture, you and I, I'm included right there with you. We are under a tremendous amount of pressure from the evil one. There's this battle of good and evil that takes place in our world. And you know it, and I know it, when we're tempted to walk in, in, in some kind of either sin or legalism or whatever it may be. And we are tempted, and we, we kind of take the bait, and we fall. And, and Jesus says that here's the deal. When that happens, he cannot pluck you. He cannot take you. He can't snatch you out of my hands completely. In the original language, the, the, uh, what Jesus was saying there when he said that they cannot snatch them, that no one can snatch them out of my hands or the Father's hands, essentially what he's saying there in the original language was there is nothing that can seize or take captive your salvation once you come to a place where you trust Jesus as your Savior. And he says it twice. He says it twice to drive home the weight and the importance of the fact that once you and I accept Jesus as our Savior, it is signed and sealed and delivered. In fact, in the original language, you're going to see this a few times when the word never is, is, um, uh, is written or when never is said there and, and it's recorded in the Gospels. It means this. It means absolutely never, ever, not even the possibility. It is such a strong, active concept that there's no way that we can ever lose our salvation. Take, take a look at John 6, verse 37. It'll be on the screens. 
And the Father gives me, excuse me, all that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, say those last two words with me, cast out. I will never cast out. That, that word there means literally to throw away. Those two, two words, cast out. It says, I will never discard. I will never cast away. I will never consider as rubbish. That's a, that's a British word that I learned when I went over to England a couple times, rubbish. They don't say trash. They say rubbish, don't they? I will never consider rubbish your salvation. Once you're in, you're secure. You're absolutely secure. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Another uh, a verb there, the word know, the verb know is an active verb. It means that you can continually keep remembering or being reminded that you are secure in him. And I got to tell you, I, I see a lot of extremes on this issue. And, and there are a lot of you who, who are here today, uh, some of you who are here today, that like you really struggle with this. How in the world can God accept me? Because I accepted him as my savior. I believed. And then after that, I did these things that disappoint him. How in the world can he accept me again? Like, how can he continue to love me? How can he continue to say that I'm in him secure? Well, that's what makes him God, and that's what makes us human. That's what makes him divine. That's what eternal life means. It means that you enter into eternity. You realize um, we, we all have birth dates, right? Mine's on March 1st, if any of you want to write that down. March 1st, okay? And I'm going to even tell you that it was 1973, okay? So there, I gave you my age. You can figure it out. But March 1st is my birthday, okay? I want you guys all to say your birthday out loud on the count of three. Ready? We're all going to say it together. Our birthdays, I'm giving you a minute to think of it, okay? One, two, three. March 1st. All right, good job. I got all yours down, all right? I took notes there, okay? You didn't see me. Just kidding. We all have a physical birthday, but you know what? Um, we're all going to have a, a spiritual death date as well. We don't know when that is, but I got to tell you, our birth date and our death date don't matter nearly as much as that moment in time that we believed in Jesus. Because do you realize, don't miss this, do you realize, each one of you that are here today and you've believed in Jesus, do you realize that you entered into eternal life in the moment that you asked Jesus to be your Savior. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. I had a friend that pointed that out, and I said, you know, I know that I was like six years old, but I don't remember the date. It was before Ronald Reagan was president that I became a Christian. It was in, an, in the winter of 1970. Uh, 1979, like right, probably in the like fall, late fall, early winter, and in a classroom, in a first grade classroom, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I can't remember the date. It doesn't matter. God knows. God knows that. 
But that moment in time is so much more important than March 1st and much more important than the day I physically die. Because at, at that moment, in believing Jesus to be my Savior, I entered into eternity, and so did you. We just happen to live the rest of our physical lives here on earth. I know I'm probably breaking your brain right now, but it's true. It's what Jesus says. It's what he promises. That's your real birthday. A few, um, few years ago, uh, it was time to paint our house. We'd bought a bit of a fixer-upper, and um, the paint was starting to fall off, and mildew and mold and decay was beginning to build up, and um, I have a friend over here who uh, I asked for his help. Thanks, Jamie. And uh, so um, he helped paint the house. Really, I taped the house, and he painted it, basically. That's how that works, So, because he's a professional, and I'm not, and that's how that works. So anyway, so we painted the house, and I remember trying to choose that paint, and, and I had to make a decision. Do I spend a little extra money for a little bit better paint that it'll seal in that paint so that mold and mildew and salt water and corrosion won't get to the siding of my house, and I paid a little extra money and a lot of money to ensure that it was sealed. Listen, I want you to hear something. Jesus promises that you have eternal life at the moment of salvation, but he also promises that it's sealed, that your eternity with him is sealed to make it even more secure. And he, Paul speaks of this all throughout the uh, New Testament. In Ephesians, he talks about it, but he speaks of it in 2 Corinthians 1, 22. Check this out and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a, what's that last word? Guarantee. Guarantee. And so for some of you who are here today, and, and you're, you always like wake up every day with this oppression of guilt, and did I live up to the rules, and did I, did I make all the right choices, and did I do everything that perfectly is going to, center with what God wants, let me answer that question for you. No, <laughs> you didn't. And does it matter? Yes. But does it matter for eternity? Not if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are sealed forever. And if you've ever doubted your salvation or if you come to church and you, you, you have this guilt or you wake up every day with this guilt, later when I'm done here in a few minutes... I said later like it's going to be another hour. I'm sorry, it's not, I promise. Um, when, when, before we're done, I want to give you the, the opportunity to have that assurance of salvation that maybe you've just struggled with for a long time. But i got to tell you, on the polar opposite end of that are, are some of you who um, don't take your salvation seriously enough. You take it for granted, and you have a casual attitude towards what Jesus did on the cross for you. And you see, we can say that, yeah, God has sealed me, and so now um, when I live my life, if I, if I mess up and if I sin and if I have these issues, I, I'm forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me, and he saved me, and I have eternity. But if we take that and we use that as a license, in essence, to live the same way we did before, um, there's nothing in our lives that like describes or shows or um, gives evidence to the fact that Jesus changed us. And so if you kind of fall on that side of things where maybe you know you've kind of fallen back into this lifestyle that God wouldn't be pleased with, um, or if you died tomorrow, are you going to heaven? If you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, yes, but 
Do, do you look like a Christian? Do you look like you said yes when Jesus said, follow me? Paul speaks of this again in his letter to the church at Rome. And I think probably the like, most kind of pinpointed, like, uh, uh, you know, tipping point of all of the Bible in Romans chapter 6, and you can actually say 6 through 8, but we're going to look at, at Romans 6, 1 through 14 as, as we kind of come to a conclusion this morning. Paul answers this question of, man, now I'm, I'm saved, I'm, I'm sealed, I'm delivered, like I'm going to heaven, I have eternity forever, it's secure. So what should I do with that? How should I live? He says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, I want to stop for a moment right there because here's what he does. In that one little verse, he answers like 10 questions. It's amazing. I love it. You realize that he answered the other extreme? Just by saying that grace may abound, he answers the question that God's grace is unlimited, that there's nothing that can take you out of his hands. Do you realize that? I love that. Just by say, stating that, he, he says, um, should we continue in our sins? Should we continue in that old lifestyle? Should we continue disappointing God and living a way that's different than his word says? And he answers a question in verse 2, and he says this, by no means. The strongest answer that he could ever give, he gives to it. He doesn't say if you fall back into sin that you're not going to heaven. He doesn't say that Jesus is going to throw you out as rubbish. He doesn't say that you can lose your salvation, that the destroyer can come in and take that away. But he says with this idea of this struggle and tension between like living according to all these rules and feeling like you have to be perfect versus having this lifestyle that, yeah, I got my you know, spiritual life insurance. I'm good to go. I'm going to be in heaven, so I'm just going to live however I want. He says, by no means. He says, how? Can we who died to sin live in it any longer? He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want you to remember that word baptism. We're going to come back to it. And he says in verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. I want you to remember baptism, and I want you to remember buried. He says in verse 4, or excuse me, in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's good news, isn't it? Wow. He says in verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified. That's the third word I want you to remember, crucified. The old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we all have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For the death that he died to sin, he says this in verse 10, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, here's the answer. Let not sin, therefore, in verse 12, he says this. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And then in verse 13, he says, do not present 
your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death into life and your members to God as your body to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Now, that is probably some of you are like, whoa, what did he just say? You know what he just said? He said that you and I no longer have to live according to a list of rules. But if we're Christ followers and we're sincere about our belief in Jesus, that no longer are we going to look like the old self. You see, the want to of this will fade away if our belief in Jesus was sincere in the first place. No longer do we have to live according to a list of rules, but that doesn't give us the permission to just go live like we want because he says that we were baptized, buried, and we were crucified. And then the fourth thing that I want you to remember is that we were resurrected with him. I love that picture. Baptized with him in his baptism, buried with him in his death. We were crucified with him. Not literally, of course, but spiritually. But we also were resurrected with him. That's a symbol of baptism. We have coming up on, on May the 15th uh, after church, a, a baptism down at Caligny. Um, baptism is a public declaration of your faith. Man, you can't get much more public than Caligny Beach, all right, <laughs> on May the 15th. It's a public declaration of, of your faith in Jesus. And when I baptize some of you who have maybe never been baptized, you've been a Christ follower for a long time, or maybe just recently. And by the way, we have a class on Thursday night, the 12th, 630. I want to invite you to come to. If you have your worship folder, you can write baptism, and we'll make sure that you get in that class, and we'll make sure you get baptized if you've never been baptized. But when I baptize you, you don't hear it because you're under the water for a few minutes, um, and then I put, I'm sorry, a few seconds, seconds, sorry, sorry, one second, sorry about that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a different line for the few minutes. You know, we baptize you, and I say that um, I say you're baptized with Jesus in his death. And as I pull you out of the water, I say, raised to walk in newness of life. And there's nothing magical about the baptism, but you know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates this, Romans 6, that there's a new way to live. That you don't have to live according to a list of rules, but you don't have to be governed by sin. You don't have to live according to all this guilt and junk and doubting your salvation, but you don't have to live like you used to, or like the world tells you, that there's a better way to live. And I think that better way to live is probably best summarized by Paul, once again, in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. He says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted, what's that next word? As loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss. The price of, of being a follower may be everything because of the surpassing worth of, say that next word with me, knowing Christ. Listen, Christ follower, you're going to fall into the trap of guilt and rules and legalism. Or you're going to fall into the trap of a license to just live the old way. You're going to fall into one of those traps if you don't get to know the one who saved you. I've struggled with this in my life a time or two. Trust me. 
And I have a tendency to do both. My tendency, maybe this is for some of you, is go out and sin. And then all of a sudden, you feel guilty. And then you get that all right, and then you feel good about your salvation, you go out and sin some more. And then all of a sudden, you feel guilty. Listen, we don't have to be in that boat. <laughs> that boat is going to make you sick, seasick, isn't it? Getting to know Jesus means spending time with him. It means every day spending time in his word. It means every day taking time to talk to him. It means every day trying to find out what he was all about. I've been a Christian since I was six years old. And I still learn new things about Jesus. Because when we get to know the Savior, all of a sudden, we fall in love with him all over again. And all of a sudden, we stop finding our delight in all these rules and guilt and junk. And we stop finding our delight in this life of sin and where we don't measure up to God. And we find our delight in Jesus because we found our security in would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit be here in this place, that you lead and move and guide us right now. And God, I pray for those who are in here this morning who really, really struggle with doubting their salvation. And God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with those who are in here um, who today need to absolutely have an assurance that the decision that they made, whether it was days weeks, months, years, or decades ago is secure. And that they don't have to wonder if they're going to heaven anymore. They don't have to wonder if their future sins are going to be so horrendous that you would cast them out and discard their salvation. God, I pray that you would be with those who are in here that struggle with guilt and they struggle with an uncertainty about their salvation. And if you're here today and you made a decision for Jesus long ago and um, you've really struggled with this idea of, of doubting that like, your salvation is secure, I want to invite you to pray a prayer right now with me. It's not a prayer of salvation. I'm assuming you did that long ago, but it's a prayer of um, assurance of salvation. And, and I'm just going to pray it out loud, and you can just pray it silently, just you and God. I'm not even going to ask you to, to raise your hand after this, because this is, this is just between you and him. It's a prayer that goes something like this. God, I thank you so much for my salvation. I thank you that it was free. I thank you that you have forgiven my sins. And God, today, I understand that there's nothing that can take that away. Not my sin, not anyone else, not even the evil one can take that away. And today, I understand that I'm secure forever. Help me to live the rest of my life not doubting my salvation. But God, help me to live from this day forward being secure in you. Being secure that I'm going to heaven when I die, not because of anything I did, but because of what you did on the cross. And if you're here today and your struggle isn't with the legalism side of things, 
it's with the like sinful lifestyle. You just slip a lot and you fall a lot. And you may admit it or you may not admit it, but you really struggle with like just being careless with your salvation. I want to pray a prayer out loud. You can pray it silently. God, I pray that you would be with me right now and help me to take the precious gift of my salvation, my eternity. Help me to take it seriously. Help me to not be casual about my life because I represent you and because of the gift you've given me. Help me to stay away from that area that pulls me in every single time and help me to live my life for you. God, I just thank you so much for the gift of salvation. I thank you so much for the gift of eternal life in you. God, and I pray that we um, who call ourselves followers of you would live in that sweet place of getting to know you and falling in love with you. And God, I pray that we live our lives in a way where we find our joy, we find our delight, we find the meaning in our lives from you and not from anything else. In Jesus' name I pray.